Investigating the Fermi Paradox with Jonathan Jong. I'm just an ordinary guy. I've been working at the JPL since 1999. Before that, I'm a postdoc at McGill University in Canada. Then I did my degree in Toronto. Currently, I'm a scientist at JPL. And introducing special guest, William Rowden. I'm a former co-worker of Lance's with lifelong interest in science fiction and science. This series started in episode 133. In your simulation, you're assuming that if life does rise, that it's going to be on Earth-like planets around sun-like star- stars. Is that how you're doing oh, yes. that? That's good start. Okay. But eventually, I'm planning to do a future work. So in the next year or two, you're going to see another paper because we are expanding the simulation, for example, all the way to the M dwarfs. At a starting point, we would like to think it's a big assumption. If that's alive, it's very similar to the Earth. It's carbon-based. The temperature goes to right. The lifetime of the star is like our sun. If the two bright star, OB star, the lifetime is too short, you know, in two billion years, dead. You know, if it's too long, maybe luminosity is, is very low. So we we assume it's sun-like stars, Earth-like planet. That says is uh, the Earth-like aliens. Yeah, but it's a starting point. And presumably, if they were Earth-like life, that at some point they would end up creating radio waves or some other sort of emissions yes. like our civilization that we ought to be able to detect somewhere uh, somewhere out there. Yes. The paper that attracted me, I, I think I saw it somewhere on some websites about news. Maybe it was like some technical websites. It's a statistics estimation of the occurrence of extraterrestrial life in the Milky Way galaxy. And you have a number of other co-authors here. Do you mind uh, telling us about them and what role they played? So as I said, I have this thought for long times, but I personally, I'm telling you, it's very busy, you know, and uh, lots of tasks to do. And I don't have uh, fundings, particularly for this research. You know, at NASA, you, have, you, have, you know, there's a charge card in it to do this, to do that. That's so why I sort of, you know, had to be on a spare time. But uh, I realized, you know, this takes a lot of time because I want to do a many, many simulation, many, many tests to test parameters one by one. So, you know, every summer at Caltech, the summer internship, some students, even high school students, sometimes is undergraduate student, you know, the smart kids, you know, try to help. They are volunteers, right? The first author is a little girl, you know, I was giving a seminar, it's a STEM seminar, you know, talking about the universe, things like that. She was there. <laughs> then she said, you know, she wants to do some research, you know. Then, among many other things, we discussed Fermi paradox, she's interested, okay. She's very good at statistics, because I know that, and she's very good at uh, Go games, you know, there's a game, you know, chess, Go, it's called uh-huh. Go. Okay. She's very good on that. Okay, so 
she knows codings. She's comfortable with computer co- codings. That's critical steps. So I work with Xiang. Uh, her name is Xiang. Sometimes I call her Alice. I work. I work with Alice for about two more than two years now. Yeah. That's also the reason that when I pick uh, sound like stars, Earth like life, that's easy for the kids to understand, right? And so I want you to find through these statistics how many Earthlings like life in the galaxy. Okay, so that's uh, Sham. Okay, and so that's first. Uh, first of all, actually, she's doing very good. You know, we 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 meet every week, <laughs> sometimes and every other week. So we discuss result. You know, <laughs> and and I, and I see she's in high school. Is that right? I see it listed. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I tell you what. I I myself doubt my result at the beginning. <laughs> I said, my God, you know, uh, and. So, because we want to do this very objective. We don't want subjective, okay? So we check the literature. In the literature, okay, there's a well-known series about galaxy formations, star formations, and star evolutions, okay? So we can model the stars from beginning to the end. So we can model the galaxies, you know, from gas of hydrogen heating all the way to the to the, to the distribution of the star. We know our galaxy well. So what we take is, okay, we take galaxies, okay, from after Big Bang, you know, from from gas, okay, then then star formation, we have we have observations, we know density of the stars, we know number of stars, and so on. Okay. Then we know the formation theory of the stars. Okay. Yeah, 90% of stars is called mean sequence stars, right? Stars go through a natural cycle, much like any living beings. This cycle begins with birth, expands through lifespans characterized by change and growth, and ultimately leads to death. The time frame of stars is entirely different from the life cycle of living beings, lasting in the order of billions of years. The main sequence describes the life cycle of a star, so there are seven main stages. Stars come in a variety of masses, and the mass determines how radiantly the star will shine. Massive stars transform either into supernova, black holes, or neutron stars. Average stars, like the sun, end life as a white dwarf surrounded by a planetary nebula. All stars, irrespective of their sizes, follow the same seven-stage cycle. They start as a gas cloud and end as a star remnant. So the seven stages are giant gas cloud. A star originates from a large cloud of gas. These clouds of gas are star nurseries. The next stage is protostar. When the gas particles of the molecular cloud run into each other, heat energy is produced. This results in a warmed up clump of molecules. These are our baby stars. They can't do much of anything by themselves. The next stage is T-Tari phase. A T-Tari star begins when materials stop falling into the protostar and release tremendous amounts of energy. The mean temperature of the Tari star isn't enough to support nuclear fusion at its core. The T-Tari phase lasts about 100 million years. This phase is named after a star in the Taurus constellation, which is actually in this phase. 
T, Tari, Dars are our juvenile stars. They're all fired up with lots of ideas, but they don't have any resources to make it happen. Stage four is the main sequence. The main sequence phase is the stage in development where the core temperature reaches the point for fusion to commence. This is the adult stage for a star. The next stage is red giant. A star converts hydrogen atoms into helium over its course of life at its core. Eventually, the hydrogen fuel runs out and the internal reaction stops. Without the reactions occurring at the core, a star contracts inward through gravity, but the outer layers expand. The star gets larger, redder, and more luminous. Another way of putting it, this is the midlife crisis phase for a star. It's getting that big, shiny Corvette to park out front. The sixth stage is the fusion of heavier elements. Helium molecules fuse at the core as the star expands. The energy of this reaction prevents the core from collapsing. The core shrinks and begins fusing carbon once the helium fusion ends. The process repeats until there's only iron left at its core. The iron fusion reaction absorbs energy, which causes the star to collapse. This is the end days for our star. This implosion transforms massive stars into a supernova while smaller stars like the sun contract into white dwarfs. Stage seven, supernova and planetary nebulae. Most of the star material is blasted away into space, but the core implodes into a neutron star or a singularity known as the black hole. Regarding less massive stars than our sun, it's an entirely different situation. For these stars, their cores contract instead into tiny hot star known as the white dwarf, while the outer material drifts away. These red dwarfs are difficult to spot, but these may be the most common stars because they can burn for trillions of years. There is a link to a paper about this in the show notes called Life Cycle of a Star. Students' first task is to find out where the sun-like stars, OBF, GKM, G-type stars, located in the galaxy, I mean the distribution, the densities, okay? And so on, what is their lifetimes, and, and so on. The type of star determines how comfortable it would be for a potential species to live on a planet that orbits the star. The lifespan of that type of star is also important because as we've talked about, it takes many millions to billions of years for intelligent life to evolve. So you need a star that's stable for long enough so that can happen. The longer the star is stable, the higher the probability that life will be able to catch hold. The Harvard classification is a pretty popular classification system for stars. This is where stars are classified on their surface temperature using a single letter of the alphabet starting with O as the coldest, then B, A, F, G, K, and then finally M, which is the hottest. These are the main sequence stars. 
our son is type G. There is a link in the show notes to an article about this, including cool pictures. So after the first simulation, we found, okay, there's a lot of sound like stars, but the peak density is about 4 kpc, about 13,000 light years away from the center. Astronomers use kiloparsecs to express distances between parts of a galaxy or within groups of galaxies. Since one parsec is equal to 3.26 light years, a kiloparsec is 3,260 light years. So the center of the Milky Way is more than 8 kiloparsecs from the Earth. The Milky Way itself is roughly 34 kiloparsecs across. Since a kiloparsec equals 3.26 light years, which means it takes 3.26 years for light to travel, when we say parsec, we're talking about a long ways. When we say kiloparsec, we're talking about a very large distance. Okay. Then we also did some, some research. Okay, what is the frequency and density of supernovae? Okay, the supernova, because supernova is too close, you'll be destroyed. So we did that research as well. We, we find out if, if it's you're closer than 26 light years, about 0.0008 kpcs, you're in danger. So, so it looks like the most possible Earth-like planets is about 4 kpc away from the center, but we are the 8 kpc. <laughs> My God, I was hoping in our location will be good. Okay, uh-huh. so I thought myself. And then the most difficult thing is ambiogenesis. Okay, that's equation number five in our paper. So we checked lots of research. That equation is not we created. It's from, it's from the literature. Okay, what's the rate? <laughs> what's the rate? of the light life arises. Okay, and you'll see there's a parameter in the paper, it's called lambda sub A, okay, it's, it's, it's lambda. So so let's do a simulation. Let's rate 0. 0.0006061, okay. Let's put 0. 0.1, what is that, okay? So some test. No matter how we test it, we, we later find out, wow, the life mostly arises. You know, the time is, about 8 billion years. I tell you why it's time 8 billion years. There's another factor is called the time needed for the evolution. Right. Okay. Uh-huh. So for the Earth, it's about few billion years. Let's say 1 billion years, let's say, from the simple life to the complex life to the intelligent life. But we don't know. If we don't know, we run it random. Okay. The lowest number is 0.2 billion years. <laughs> Let's say, okay, because some fossil evidence say, okay, about 0.2 billion years after the Earth's form, there's already some, but it's indisputable, okay. 0.2, then, the, then it's 1 billion years, 2 billion years, even 5 billion years. We just give a range, okay, and so on. And we know the lifetime of our sun, and so on. So we eventually, after simulation, we find out, given the supernovae event, the most likely, the peak density of the life is 4 kpc from the galactic center, about 8 billion years since Big Bang. Okay, that's the peak. We are the 13 billion years, so we are already past the peak. Okay. 
Turn that over in your head for a moment, folks. Think about it. The peak time when there was the most civilizations in the Milky Way was 8 billion years after the Big Bang, which is a long time ago because right now, today, the universe is 13 billion years. So we are late to the party, folks. We are late by 5 billion years. Not only are we late to the party, but we're not even in the right neighborhood, folks. The hot downtown where there was all this alien intelligence and civilizations, they were all hanging out in the downtown, which is four kiloparsecs from the center of the galaxy. And here we are way out at eight kiloparsecs from the center of the galaxy. We're out in the boondoggles. Now, of course, this is all based on a simulation. I guess ultimately it was George Lucas who had it right. It was a long time ago in our galaxy, far, far away. So I thought, oh, I said it's weird. <laughs> and uh, so I checked. I'm sorry, what, what, what was the peak we're talking about? The peak of? The peak in terms of Tampomo is about 8 billion years since Big Bang. Oh, okay. Is the peak numbers. Okay. The peak numbers and, for uh, civilizations, is that what you're getting yeah. at? Yeah, yeah, yes. I remember that. Yes. Okay. And about 4 kpcs from the galactic center, there's a distribution. And our solar system, our Earth life, is 8 kpcs from galactic center, 13 billion years since Big Bang. Mm. Okay. So we are sort of at 8, but it's amazing. Even at low possibility, we are here. Yeah. <laughs> if at low possibility, we are here. So I was puzzled. I got this result about a year ago. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, my student, I got this. So we were puzzled. So, so I told my student, okay, give a lecture at Caltech twice. Okay. So we gave a lecture at Caltech to see what other people's feedback. I have a number of summer interns. The third author, Kristen, is my co-mentor for the student. She's very good. She's uh, she had she had a master degrees in education. She had uh, a bachelor degrees in physics, so she's very good at dealing with students, you know. And so, actually, she helped a lot through the discussions, you know. And then, after giving a lecture at Caltech, we had a very good feedback. <laughs> so people are saying, and I mean, I mean professors, uh-huh. okay, those says, oh, this need to be need to be published. So we got encouraged. Okay. Another author is Professor Yakian. Professor Yakian is the expert of uh, astrobiologist. He's astrobiology expert. So this paper actually is not about the biology. It's not astrobiology, but uh, is I, I should say it's a simulation. It's a mathematics simulation. But uh, we want to make sure the biologists are happy. You know, it makes sense. So I talked to Professor Yakian. Read this paper. Do you think this result makes sense to you as an astrobiologist? Then, after he read the paper, he told me it's good paper. It need to be published so that we, okay, that we encourage. So about half year ago, and I, I told a student, let's write it up. <laughs> so four of us just put together. Yeah, that, you know, <laughs> you know that's the story about this paper. 
Yeah, I like how you uh, you followed your passion. Uh, you you, yeah. you like big numbers and working on numbers, and you found a big yeah. problem. <laughs> like, yeah. what's a bigger yes. problem than this one? I don't know. Life <laughs> is very time-consuming, you know, on a computer, you know, because we want to run billions of years simulations. Sometimes it takes a week just to run it, and then we find the result. It's the 22nd century, and although there's no faster-than-light drive, governments and religious organizations fund voyages by giant ships that spend multiple generations in voyage to Earth-like exoplanets. Young Arcady feels blessed to be born aboard the ship when he did because the ship will soon reach its destination and it will happen during his lifetime. But he's heartbroken that instead of being trained as a pilot, he is stuck training to be a farmer because those skills are more important for creating their civilization and completing the abandonment of Earth and the troubles they left behind. But once their ship makes planetfall, the strife left behind a millennia ago resurfaces, starting with the murder of his sister. After the mysterious disappearance of other generation ships, Arcady now, an officer of the Space Force, suspects that someone close to him is killing his people. This murder investigation Space Opera is a novelette by Lancer Kind and it's called Memories Victims. It is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble's Nook. Open up your podcast player and check out the show notes that came with the show and you will see links in there that are about the matters we've talked about for example, you'll find a link to the paper that was authored by Shang Tai of San Diego High School, Corona, California. Jonathan H. Zhang, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, California Institute of Technology, Pasadena, California. Kirsten A. Fei. She's also of JPL. Yuk L. Yung. Division of Geological and Planetary Sciences, California Institute of Technology, Pasadena, California. And you'll find other things like references and links to Fermi Paradox and anything else that we talk about in the show, I put it in there so you can have the details. If you don't have the show notes and you're not using a podcast player, go back to the website where you downloaded this MP3. If you're like my friend Lori and you missed the first episode, go find the archive by typing in Lancer Sci-Fi Thoughts Archive. And from there, search for episode 133. Next episode, more Jonathan Zhang from JPL. Then they have enough time to develop technologies to visit us. But it's silent because probably the lifetime is not long. The, the controlling factor to determine the lifetime is our last figure, figure 4, as you are seeing that, is the self-destruction rate.
And、uh, because the soft destruction rate, although it's small, but what we are simulate is billions of years, like the lottery ticket. Even if it's very small, after billions of years, sooner or later you'll be gone, <laughs> you'll be dead. 